This week's podcast is brought to you by Western Oregon University's Multicultural Student Union. The Multicultural Student Union strives to promote diversity and cultural awareness through the Western Oregon University campus and the surrounding community. The repercussions were evident in 1893 after the unlawful imprisonment of Queen Niliuokalani and the illegal overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii. Lost land, lost language, lost culture, and lost identity as a Hawaiian. This podcast dives into what it means to be Hawaiian in this modern era from two different generational cohort lenses. Aloha kakahiaka, my name is Mokana Waikiki and I will be your host for this week's podcast. This week we will be highlighting two special guests, James and Ku'uyapo Jiang. James Jiang is a Hawaiian Chinese born in Honolulu on the island of Oahu and moved to Kalapana, Hawaii where he grew up for the majority of his childhood. He is a 1964 graduate of Pahua High School and his humble beginnings in his youth shaped him into the Hawaiian he is now. Ku'uhiapo Jiang is a junior attending the University of Hawaii at Hilo, double majoring in psychology and communications. He was born in Hilo, Hawaii and has spent his entire life living in Puna on the big island of Hawaii. He has a strong background in the Hawaiian language and culture, having attended a K-12 Hawaiian immersion school and a private school catered to those of Hawaiian descent. He is the oldest of two children and the proud son of James Jiang. Aloha, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uncle, how are you doing? I'm so glad that you're here. I can't wait to talk story with you. Ku'ihapo, uh, how are you doing this morning? Tired. I just finished a lot of exams and, and papers, but I'm here and I'm just, thank you so much for having both of us. Mahalo so much for coming. I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you were able to take time out of your days to come talk story with me. And on that, we'll jump into the first question. Let's go ahead and start with what makes you Hawaiian? Well, you know, brought off when I was young in Kalapana, everything was Hawaiian. No, I mean, everything that we do, what I learned when I was, you know, young and grew up and, you know, was brought up by my grandpa and my grandma on the Hawaiian side. And so everything what they did when the Olelo was all in Hawaiian, they speak Hawaiian language that for now when I look back, you know, I'm, I felt so bad why did he teach um, the Mo'opunas, you know, the grandchildren, also the children, you know, my mom them, my uncle them. Then, when I look back and I'm thinking to myself, I know that, you know, it was banned or uh, Hawaiian language. Then when I grew up, I figured that on my own, why my, why my grandparents didn't teach it, you know, um, Hawaiian. Well, they talk Hawaiian, that's what we pick up, but we didn't learn how the real, how they used to speak um, the old way. And then when I'm thinking about it all, all these years, then I realized maybe my grandparents 
didn't want to teach us because if they can stop them from speaking the Hawaiian language, imagine if my grandparents would teach us, the grandchildren or their children, to speak the language, what it was going to happen then. So that's why I think that my grandparents, also the other kupunas who lives in that area or who, who lives on the island, didn't want to teach their grandchildren or their children because they didn't want them to go through the same problem what they went through. So now I realized that I didn't have the opportunity. So I went back to the University of Hawaii when I had my street metal company. I think so that was in um, maybe early 80s or no, no, no. Yeah, someplace in the, uh, no, no, the 80s. Then I took a course of audio. I just wanted to know the basic, you know, how do you use it? So I went up there for um, up the university for oh, 11 weeks. So I closed up my company, go to the university, come back, open the company and stay days about 10 o'clock at night, et cetera, et cetera. And so I learned, I didn't go for, you know, for grade. I just wanted to learn. And I was, I was the oldest in my class. All the rest was all university students. You know, so I felt very bad, you know. Then I remember the Kumo asked us, who's the one have Hawaiian name stand up? I couldn't stand up because I don't have Hawaiian name. And, and had um, three white students who came from other country, they didn't have. So everybody went out, only a four was in there. So she gave me that name, Kalimahuli. She said, I'm going to name you Kamlu. I'm not calling Mahuli that your hands turns. You like to work with your hands instead of your, you know, your brains, you know, everything you see, you can do it, you know. So that's how it, you know, that's how I, um, you know, my Hawaiian town Kalapana, the culture wise, um, I've learned a lot and I'm still using it to today. What my grandfather used to do, he used to do a Hawaiian style of fishing and he used to do healing, everything. And to today, I still do the things. Fishing, I doesn't do now because getting old and my leg getting or giving up, but I still using the herbs, whatever it is, but I don't use the deep ones. The ones that you know, I stay away from yet because um, as I told my son that I wasn't chosen. Even though if I kept all his, um, his, you know, his pompoy board, his stones, his um, canoe that he made before, and all these things, I still have been in him, um, you know, home here. And so after when I passed, hopefully, some of my son and my, uh, you know, daughter will take care. As I told them, you guys only the caretaker. This don't belong to your folks. This belong to your ohana. So that's the kind of culture I um I picked up, you know, from my um you know my grandparents, especially my grandfather was humble like my boy Koyako. 
I'm not home. <clears throat> you know, I get wild, you know. <laughs> but I follow my grandmother's side. See, my grandmother come from the Kaina line from California. My grandfather come from the Kahili Hiva from California. So it's a big family down there. Mm -hmm. The whole Kalapana and, you know, um, you know, some of the family did musicians. My cousin and the Kapanas, the Ohuyohanas, they're all musicians. Some, they all, they want to work with the hand to survive. Everybody is surviving down there. Surviving. It wasn't easy life. It was hard life. It's not like you go inside and you turn on your light. No, we didn't have that. It's not like um, you go inside and you flush your toilet. We didn't have that. We have to walk maybe a couple hundred feet away from the house. And we had our out toilet up there. They call them earth toilet or whatever. But that's my life, how I brought up fishing every day, picking ulu, you know, bread fruit, taros, and making poi. Everything was found, cooked, you know, was boiled. And we used to call them, my grandfather guys used to call that mahuai. Mm -hmm. Some people, they call them different ways. Every district is different, you know. But, but you know, brought up in that, in that environment before, when I look back and I living in this generation, I was glad that I came from there. Thank you, uncle. I think that that was so encompassing of what it means to be a Hawaiian in this age and the age prior. So you mentioned so many things, family, um, olelo, language, food, connection to the land, connection to the ocean, your surroundings. Um, and that just tells you how it, you can't just be connected to one thing. Being Hawaiian is connected to everything around you and everything that you are, your generational connections. Um, and that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Kuihapo, you are from the same lineage as your father. So do you hold the same sort of connections as him? Well, um, the reason why I am Hawaiian or the reason why I have a country to anything Hawaiian is because of my dad. That is, that is the, the most simplest thing I can say. Without my dad, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have gone to a Hawaiian immersion school Without my dad, I wouldn't have learned my language. And, and you know, for me, Hawaiian language is my first language because I was able to comprehend, write, and, and speak it a lot better than I was with English. Um, and yeah, um, thanks to my dad, like how I said, I was placed in a Hawaii immersion school where I learned not only the Hawaiian language, which is uh, which was a dying language for many years, um, but I've learned a lot about my history, my culture, and and other aspects of the Hawaiian culture. And although I, I've gotten other opportunities to learn more, to learn more about being a Hawaiian, this guy right next to me is the reason why I'm Hawaiian. I mean, of course, blood, right? I mean, my dad is Hawaiian, blood-wise, but I think there's a lot more to being Hawaiian than with having blood. You know, it's a lifestyle is having a connection to the land. I mean, a lot of indigenous people, um, they have this connection with the land because the land is very important and the land feeds you. And, and it, for the land to feed you, you need to take care of the land. And my dad is a stewardship 
person. He he takes care of the land. He, like how he said, he his Hawaiian name is Kalimahuli. He um he turns his hands down. Hands turn. Yeah. Um. And and to the to the Aina or to the land because he um he likes cultivating um food or he likes just working with his hands. I on the other hand is I'm you know I'm different because I'm from the new generation. I'm more on this technology stuff, right, on the computer and all. And there's nothing any, it isn't, there's nothing negative about that, right? Uh, it's a clear difference between my dad's generation and my generation. And, you know, one generation is not more Hawaiian than the other generation. You know, my generation cannot tell my dad's generation, oh, you guys are wrong. That is heva. Heva in Hawaiian means wrong, a sin. You can never tell your kupuna or your elders that they're wrong even if they have it, had it worse than you did. You know, my dad said that when he grew up, um, he never had the language, he never had the culture and he, and he was shunned from those knowledge, even if he wanted that. And then here I am in my generation, I'm giving, I'm given this knowledge freely. And it's unfortunately for my generation and even, even a generation before me, I think the millennials, um, a lot of us, we don't even wanna learn this, this, the, the, um, the knowledge, and we take for granted what was lost or what was almost lost. And then there's, again, in contrast to my dad's generation, they wish they could learn the Hawaiian language. They wish they could be so connected to it because in a way, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've learned so much about my history in a way they feel burdened. They, they feel like they've given us, the, the generation after them, the burden of having to learn everything on our own having to search for different kupunas who are willing to um to share because you know like how my dad said like his kupuna they didn't want to share and even his generation now too there there are some who are still alive you know who are still living now who just wouldn't want to share those molelo because you know knowledge is power and knowledge can make money and unfortunately there are people out there not only in hawaiian culture but people in other indigenous places where you know you have these researchers go and 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 interview these kupunas or this these elders from not only hawaii the native hawaiian community but um uh the native american communities right and and um with that, that knowledge they make money out of that and that's something that you know as for my generation we you know we have to kind of figure out the balance, right? Like we need to live, we need to find a way to live with money and all, but there's also just knowing that, you know, the knowledge is priceless. There's no price tag on that. And I think that's one big thing my dad taught me is that, you know, you know, no one can take away the knowledge from you, but it really depends on how you give that knowledge. You know, it, it really depends on who you give the knowledge freely. Oh yeah, you know, um, maybe I, I didn't say this, but, um, you know, when I was growing up and everything, it wasn't taught to us because they are, because the kupunas was already afraid because of what they did. They can ban your language as the, as the worst thing. But I realized when I grew up, it wasn't like my grandpa, my grandma, you know, call you, come here, boy. I want you to do it this way. No, it wasn't like that. Got no, no, no. You gotta watch 
ليسي كولو يبالينو باكوفا از اي جو اب وين دي جون اس وين اي ريلايز Thank you so much for sharing, Uncle. Um, I think that's something that is important to mention is the eha, um, the hurt. I don't know if um, our listeners can hear that, but there is there is a pain there um, from the way that people have misused our culture and mis- misused our language and and hurt our people. Um, and the effects are not done. They're long lasting. These effects happen about a century ago where they started banning things and blocking us from being able to live our lives because they disagreed with it. And it's still, it's still in our bloodstream. It's still traveling down the generations because for many of us in this generation, and I'm sure Kuihapo, you can talk on this too. There's this lack of connection to our past generation. There's this lack of connection to knowledge because if they're not, um, if they haven't passed away, then they weren't connected to it either. So for us, it's an extra struggle on the other end because we have to push more than we would have. So Apo, do you have any other comments on this topic? I mean, like how I said before, I mean, my dad's generation, yeah. I mean, my, dad, my dad's generation and the generation before him, maybe the generation after him as well. Um, yeah, they had a huge struggle to preserve, man- maintain and practice their culture, the language, practices and all, like healing. For me, uh, my, in my opinion, I think the main problem for my generation, Generation Z, is actually having the passion or actually having the interest of wanting to learn I mean, we live in the 21st century. We have, you can Google things in five seconds and you can learn, you can become a doctor in like a year just by researching. It's amazing, right? Compared to my my dad's generation, they had to actively, you know, through blood, sweat and tears, find this this knowledge. And here I am in my generation, I can just go on Google and, and I, I have the information, something that they never got to, you know, got to have, you know? It's all in the archives, all in, on the li- in the library. But unfortunately, my generation, I mean, I'm not saying for all, right? But in the Hawaiian community, there isn't a lot of interest. They, they think because everything is online, in the books, it's going to be there forever, which is hypothetically yeah, true. I mean, not hypothetically, but realistically, it is true because, it, you know, it's going to be in the books forever, right? Rather than going and trying to find the kupunas and all. But I think there is a difference between learning something from a book and learning something hands-on, right? You know, and I think, you know, to connect it to students, there is a difference between going to school, learning from the teacher and learning on, by yourself on your computer, textbooks, you know, there is a clear difference. And, you know, you're still learning, but you're, you don't have that connection, that social connection, right? That pilina, we call that in Hawaiian pilina um, connection. There is a lot of smaller problems that comes with being a Hawaiian in my generation, but nothing compared to what the generations before us had to endure. One of the current issues that's happening right now is the topic of Hawaiian homelands. And so to give a little background to listeners, um, Hawaiian homelands was created by um, the government of the United States when they came to Hawaii. 
Um, they sectioned off parts of Hawaiian land across all of the eight islands um, that were designated as Hawaiian homelands. In order to get on a list to be able to have a plot of land, you had to have a certain blood quantum. Recently, in the last few years, it dropped from 25% to 13.75%, which makes it significantly easier for people of um, mine and Kuihapo's generation to get on that list. The perks of being on Hawaiian homelands is that it's a dollar a year for that land, and then you can pass it on in your family to the next generation if they have the blood quantum. Do you believe that the blood quantum matters to being a Hawaiian? Uncle, I'll go to you first. Talk about blood quantum. For me, for myself, you know, I only hear on the news, etc. All of my family didn't apply for Hawaiian homeland. But for blood, how much you have to need? To me, if you have a little, it's good enough to apply for homeland. Other than that, when you apply for homeland, some guys are pure until today, they die, they die and they're still waiting. But when I look at that, you know, I feel hurt, but I feel glad that I have my own land. So what you're saying is that it doesn't matter how much blood, as long as you have No, it doesn't matter how much blood. To me, it doesn't matter. And it's become political at this point. It's just yeah, yeah. Because uh, if they go by blood, everybody going to die anyway. Right. So I looked it up, and the the number of applicants um, just for the island of Hawaii, uh, for Hawaiian homelands, and all of the the spots are filled currently. So these are just people on the wait list. Is twenty eight thousand one hundred and ninety nine people who have applied. So that's just one island out of eight. Um, and the Hawaiian homelands are significantly smaller than majority of the Hawaii that people know. Hawaiian homelands are the pieces of land that the government can't really make money off of. Yeah. So they're a little bit harder to deal with. They take a lot more to make it livable. Um, they're not these wonderful plots of land that you see for sale mm -hmm. with condos on them. Um, these are the runs of the bunch. Um, and so the, to just give an idea of how many people are waiting to get a little bit of the scraps um, of the land that was taken from us can sort of put that into perspective. So on that, do you have an opinion that is similar or maybe different than um, your father on that blood quantum? Well, well first off, I just wanna like um, add, add to what you were saying about the Hawaiian homelands. Um, the reason why we have Hawaiian homelands, right, in, in simplest terms for people to understand, because our lands were taken away from us after the overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom. Illegally, everything was taken away from us. Not only, not only the language, not only our culture, our land. And so a lot of Hawaiians for many, many years were homeless, were just getting by. And that's a very huge repercussion about what has happened to us as, as a people. Now to answer your question, do I, do I agree or disagree that blood quantum makes a difference? For me, it's really hard to answer that. I think if I had to really answer that, I would say no, it doesn't really matter. Because like how my dad said, if you're Hawaiian, if you have a little bit of Hawaiian, you should be qualified for Hawaiian homelands, no matter how much quantum is in your blood. One of the things that you mentioned was that intergenerational trauma. So essentially what it is is the generation before us and before them 
uh, has as an open wound. And then that was essentially passed down and we still feel that hurt, that eha. And so when you're hurting and everyone around you is hurting, you start fighting with one another um, and you start hurting each other because there's nowhere else to turn and you're just screaming out for help. And so one of the things that Po'e Kanaka Hawaiian people took that eha and channeled it into something was the Mauna Awakea Kukia Imauna movement. Right. Um, would you like to give us a little bit of background on that? Right. Okay. So in short summary, um, the TMT is this 30 meters telescope that was proposed to be built on Mauna Awakea, Mauna Kea for short, which is the tallest mountain in the whole world. For the Hawaiian people, we see Mauna Kea as the Pico or the epicenter or just the center of creation, the, the center of our identity as Hawaiians. For um, scientists, it is a perfect spot to, to build telescopes because it has the perfect condition, perfect altitude, and because it is the high spot and the lights are not interfering with anything, right, with technology, it is the ideal spot for TMT. And so with that, the Po'e Kanaka or the Hawaiian people who have been standing up against the groundbreaking and sort of everything that goes along with TMT. One of the things that has been occurring since the beginning of last year um, and followed through all until the pandemic where it was sort of halted was a peaceful protest. Hawaiians were standing and blocking that road, creating a human blockade to stop those machines from going up and uh, demolishing our aina and our mountain. Uncle, how did you feel about the way that that protest went? I'm for them. Especially the kupunas who sit in the front line and all the others who were there who joined in. That's all I can say. I'm for them. And Abu, is that how you feel too? I support TMT. I support TMT, but not the construction on Mauna Kea. So all of the things that we've talked about today, current issues, um, intergenerational trauma, the things that connect us to being Hawaiian and who we are. What is one thing that you'd like to say to the people listening to this podcast um, that you hope that they take with them and maybe shift the way that they perceive uh, Po'e Kanaka, Hawaiian people, our language, um, and Hawaii as a whole? For those of you who are listening, I don't want you guys to look at us as Native Americans. We're not. We are Native Hawaiians. We were never Americans, but unfortunately we were forced to be a part of America. And yes, there are many opportunities that come to with it, but unfortunately there are a lot of repercussions, especially for us as the Hawaiian community. I want people to know that there's more to being Hawaiian than what you see else, you know, on the news. You know, there's more to being Hawaiian than tourism in a fancy place that you go and and vacation on other people's homelands. We are people who were stripped away from our identity. We are people who are resilient and who are still here and who are fighting for the world to to recognize us once again. Uncle? Well, I guess my son told everything. I'm just gonna make it simple and short. That's why I let him go first. For me, I just want them to know that if you don't have the Hawaiian blood or the Hawaiian culture to keep this thing on, we're finished. Mm -hmm. So the 
you folks out there who are listening, you folks gotta you know, look and study our culture because we're who's holding the fort. That's all it is. We're Hawaiian, we'll be the Hawaiian Kanakas. Thank you so much to both of you for talking with me today. For those of you listening out there, my only piece of advice is to remind yourselves that when you put on a grass skirt and a coconut bra, it's not a costume, um, that that's a, a culture and a people that are being misrepresented. And we don't ever wanna see that happen to anyone. So please treat others the way that you wanna be treated. Be kind to one another. And check out MSU's link tree for more information about the topics discussed today. Thank you for listening.